Am I not working? Yeah. Am I just speaking I to myself? I think it's the receiver. Once again, I'm just... Because they're new batteries. Yeah, well, that's just so sad. Do you want to trade batteries or you want to use another well, one? Well, I'll trade batteries. Okay, we'll try it again. I mean, I can hear you, but I'm like right next to you, so... No, you guys go. Yeah, okay, thank you. This is great. I like... Anyway, Abiathar was still high priest when um, I was reading this text. That hasn't changed. And um, so when he was the high priest, the, this, David had gone in and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And the term Son of Man is one that Jesus in the Gospel of Mark will often use to refer to himself. He won't use terms like Lord. He won't use uh, uh, other terms. But Son of Man is, is a, a term of some mixed understanding and of some humility. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand, and they watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, come forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. I just want to say to you right there that I've seen, lot, I've been to lots of services where people purport to do healings and I've watched lots of TV shows where people purport to do healings and Jesus does something really interesting. He says, stretch out your hand. And there's no magic words. There's nothing else. The man's hand is restored in a moment. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against Jesus how to destroy him. Pray with me. Save us from hardness of heart. In Jesus' name, amen. The people that were watching Jesus in this particular story, there will be others at other times, but we get um, different groups. We get priests, we get Sadducees, we get scribes, and in this particular instance, we have the Pharisees. Uh, many of you know, and I'll remind us all, that... Um, the, the group called Pharisees were lay people. They were not priests. They weren't hired guns. They were simply ordinary folks from Israel, part of the community. 
They were ordinary in many ways, but they were a group that galvanized around the reasons that Israel was sent into exile. It was said that Israel was sent into exile because it disobeyed the law. And they decided on their own, they didn't uh, actually consult anyone, they decided on their own that they would become the keepers of the law that Israel might not ever enter into a time of exile again. And they developed the rules around what it meant to keep the law, and they became exemplars of law-keeping and of adding to it. Um, Again, it was a lave movement, and I think they just thought the priesthood was corrupt. And so they decided to take matters into their own hands. They were making stri- the straight crooked. This is because this is how it works. I have served on a lot of different different groups and committees and boards and things in my life, and um, we have one particular um, group in in our church called the the uh, session. And then in our presbytery level, we have a a group called Committee on Ministry. And then our denomination has this book called the Book of Order. And in it are the rules of the church and each other group that I just mentioned has its own governing rules. And when something goes wrong, the temptation is to write another rule. When something goes wrong, say somebody doesn't clean up the kitchen after them. And somebody walks in and goes, the kitchen wasn't cleaned up. We're going to write a rule that nobody has access to the kitchen unless we authorize it. And then your book gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you begin to legislate against things going wrong. And you set up rules to keep things from going wrong. I was um, a pastor of one of the congregations I've, I've worked with over the years and uh, had a group that came to me and they, they uh, were a group that went camping all the time. Maybe I've shared this illustration with you, but it's worth sharing again. They went camping all the time. Weekends, they were, they were all young families together when we started the church and they, um, they decided on their own they would do this and, and uh, one in their group uh, they would get out on the camping thing, uh, thing and just, he would just drink too much. And he would drink to the point that it was an embarrassment to be with them on camping groups. And this group came to me and they said, Craig, we've got to have a rule that bans alcohol on our camping trips. I looked at him and said, no, we don't. You need to talk with your friend. You need to care for your friend as Christian people. We're not going to make rules against things. We're going to demonstrate the opposite, which is God's love. We're going to care for this person. And we're going to figure out how to manage that. No, I won't bring that to the session to make a rule. They weren't happy with me. Um, but they began to care for their brother. And I think that's the challenge that Jesus is facing in the story. Whenever Jesus is faced 
with the question around Sabbath observance, he moves in the opposite direction of what people want him to do. Why? Because the Sabbath rules had been weaponized. They were now something to be used against people. A way of condemning them, a way of pushing them out, a way of persecuting them, a way of keeping us, the pure ones, away from those who were not clean, in our idea. That's what was going on. And what we have said often is that Jesus is on the side of people. Jesus' attacks were against hard-heartedness. John 3.17, we often forget it. But it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Jesus. Sabbath combats hard-heartedness. Jesus is making the crooked straight again. Sabbath was a cultural distinctive. It was a cultural distinctive of the Jewish community. Other cultures around them did not practice Sabbath. Work was all the time. It was 24-7. It was whenever you were called upon. All the days were the days were the same except for feast days. And then because the population, the major population, the occupying population, whoever was in charge, which was seldom Israel, when the others were in charge, they would get the day off because of the feasts and the festivals that, of the conquering nations and the ruling powers. The Jewish faith, mirroring their God, took every seventh day off for everything. And, and that's the way they honored what they saw God do. The Sunday school movement began during the Industrial Revolution. It began in Britain, and it began in the 1780s. The Sunday school movement was intended to give children a day off from being enslaved in their work in the factories. Children worked seven days a week, and if they were the ones that were working in factories and other industries, they were poor children and they never got to go to school. In fact, learning was discouraged among the masses. And these children were the object of prejudice. In 1802, there was an hourly limit set on their work of 12 hours a day. Eight, nine, ten-year-olds, 12-hour days, and horrendous conditions. We can see that all around the world even today. The goal 
was to free children from a life of illiteracy. And for one day, they learned through Sunday school scripture, how to read it, and maybe how to write. State education for all children didn't exist in Britain or the United States until after the Civil War. Sabbath was made for people, not vice versa. And so we get to this story and have to ask the question, so how is Sabbath good news? If Sabbath is always no and don't, and we have this one day, what should happen? What should take place? Is church going good news? I had... um, Worked. I'd, I've been I've been an ordained pastor for forty some years, and I have worked on Sundays longer than that my whole life, up from the time I was about sixteen. So fifty years, fifty-two years, okay, fifty-three years, <laughs> and and. Uh, yeah, you can do the math. And, and I, I have had this, um, and I've worked on the Sabbath. I've had to figure it out. And I, I had this job. I had, I had uh, worked and gone back and forth between Portland, Oregon, and our home in San Clemente. I worked up there in church planting stuff with, their, uh, with the region and helped people figure out how to plant new work and how to, how to maintain it. And supported. I worked with organizations trying to do that. And, um, and when I got back to San Clemente, I was not uh, the pastor of a church. I was not working uh, in somewhere else. And I remember getting back to San Clemente, not having to work on a Sunday. And, um, and I remember saying, you know, I just want to go downtown. San Clemente has a farmer's market on Sunday morning on Del Mar which leads down to the pier. And I just want to go. I don't want to go to church. And you know what? Everybody was there having a great time. And, I, and they were, there were um, chefs buying fresh produce that they were going to use in their restaurants downtown. There were people with their dogs walking their dogs and talking to each other and having a cup of coffee. There were people talking to one another, having a wonderful opportunity just to be together. And I thought to myself this, I thought, you know, am I supposed to tell those people on the street that they should go up to that box on the hill called San Clemente Press and go in those doors, and if they go in those doors, that they will have a great time singing songs they've never heard before, hearing, hearing words they've never been introduced before, and rituals that they're completely unfamiliar with. No, really, you'll love it. And you'll be a stranger to boot, because they'll all know each other. And you'll stand out as that stranger. I'm an experienced churchgoer. I get it. But for those that aren't, is Sunday a good idea in the way we practice it? Remember when Lindsay was four years old, I was at a church in Memphis. My family's from Memphis. This week has been really hard to 
uh, hear about that city and understand the suffering that's going on there in so many different ways, in so many layers. Memphis is a hard city. It's a hard town. And um, we were at church. My, my, uh, my family had gone to a brethren church there, and they celebrated communion every week, but they didn't give it to children. And she was four, and I remember the, the food going by and the drink going by, and it bypassed Lindsay. You know, Lindsay's not a child anymore. She's going to have a child. And, um, and you never saw a more disappointed four-year-old. I was always reminded of the Dennis the Menace that uh, um, communion got passed by him in church, and he comes out, and then the offering goes by, and he goes, if I don't eat, I don't pay. And I, and I, fair enough. And I, and I thought, I'll, I'll never do that again to my child. Um, I could keep the rules about communion, but I don't want her to associate God with disappointment and the kind of refusal that we experienced in that moment. Talking to a surfer down at the pier, we were talking to him about just his life and stuff down in in uh, San Clemente and, and when we directed him we directed him to the other service because we didn't think the more traditional service would be very good news for him having to choose between that warm cup of coffee at Starbucks and worship is it truly good news do the rules matter more than experiencing what God is up to, the recreation of humanity, the changing of hearts and lives. True Sabbath practices lead to goodness, to healing, to joy, to peace, to being recreated. The Sabbath is intended to combat hard-heartedness Sabbath practice, well, where is goodness taking place? And join in. Again, I think of the things of this last week. There is a powerlessness in all of us to be able to say we, we can't fix it. But I think the scripture's clear in answer, yes, you can't fix it. But then God says, I want things to be like I intended them to be. I want to break through the hard-heartedness. I want to break through the crap. And I'll say it intentionally, use that word, because the Bible would use that word. And talking about the crap that clogs up our lives. And Jesus wants to break through it. For those officers in in Memphis, some of it's just personal crap. And they're hard-hearted towards human beings. That's what showed up in all of this. A hard-heartedness towards people. And in particular, people even 
in their own race. And they're hard-hearted, not just individually, but collectively because the culture that has been developed gave power to that hard-heartedness. And we see that across the board. Jesus has come to break through that in you and me. Our thinking's got to change. The crap we put up with in this world has to be confronted. We don't just shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well. We get a chance, a small little chance, to break through and show a softness of heart to an Afghan family. Where will it lead you? And to whom will it take you? That you can show Jesus makes a difference. Jesus wants to make the crooked straight. To that end, we pray. Let's pray with me. God, we do. Um, this world is just crooked, not, not maybe even in a Nixonian way. But God, crooked in the sense that, that uh, we don't have a straight path to what it is you've want us to do and we make it convoluted we say yeah but and we always have excuses why things can't be the way you want them to be save us from our excuses save us from uh, being people with hard hearts because we can hide behind your the rules